0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and glad to be joining you on our last regular season edition of uh, Wednesday All Access. And it's kind of weird and strange to say. Um, it's already been kind of an emotional week. Not kind of. It's been a very emotional week uh, with what happened on Monday Night Football with Demar Hamlin, second-year safety from out of Pitt, who played. Uh, place for the Buffalo Bills, uh, an outpouring of love and support from throughout the NFL. It's just been incredible to see uh, those rallying around. Demar Hamlin, who um, was resuscitated with AED and CPR on the field at Pecor Stadium on Monday night. And he has been trending each and every day a little bit better, a little bit better. He's not needing as much oxygen. Uh, there obviously might be some lung issues and things like that, but... Um, our thoughts have been with uh, Demar Hamlin this entire time, I know mine have, uh, and i've told this this story or you know this thought many times that my buddy Sal Capaccio is a solid reporter for the bills and uh i've I've heard him on different radio shows recounting the story about demar Hamlin 's mother trying to get to him. She was at the game uh, and trying to get to him and how difficult that was and Sal was telling a story um, on Andrew Filipponi's show right there in Pittsburgh, uh, and he was breaking up as he did it and I texted him after I heard it, and he said, you know, I've been doing those shows not because um, I've wanted to, but it's kind of in some sense helping me get through that situation because it's been that tough uh, for everybody uh, involved. I can only imagine uh, what the players uh, that get on that field with Demar Hamlin uh, are feeling. I know Rodney Thomas, who we will play this weekend of the Colts, um, was a high school teammate, really good friend of Demar. He drove to Cincinnati from Indianapolis about 120 miles on Monday night to be there and be with him, to be in the um, in the room with him, and said he got a chance to kind of touch his hand and shake his hand. Um, he said he didn't know if DeMar knew he was there or not, but he just needed to be there. So it's been a really emotional week in the NFL, uh, but he is definitely moving in the right direction. And, man, I can't tell you how just awesome that is to hear. And we hope that continues. The Texans made a $10,003 donation Uh, to DeMar's uh, toy foundation or toys toy drive that he was running. It was a GoFundMe that had been up there for, I don't know, a couple years, I think. And the goal is $2,500. And people have been giving, and it's now $6.5 million. I think it may be up in $7 million by now. But, I mean, it's just been incredible. The team's giving. I mean, the Colts um, gave $25,003. you know Tom Brady gave Chris Jericho the wrestler gave twice because the first time he spelled his name wrong so he gave another $5,000 to spell his name right um so it's just been uh, a really emotional week and we'll start off there because Lovey Smith had a chance to talk about that situation um and kind of how it affects the team and what they've been going through and I thought Lovey was the perfect person to be speaking today and when asked um, actually, he didn't even ask. This was kind of his opening statement today at the press conference. So let's do a little Texans audio jukebox from this press conference today where Lovey Smith spoke the majority of time about DeMar Hamlin and football and injuries. But this was his opening statement today as we start our audio jukebox.
1: You know, our game can be violent. I mean, it's a contact sport. Injuries happen, but you don't, um, you assume that, that an injury like that won't happen. And um, I found myself, I don't know DeMar, I've I've never met him, Um, but I I think we all feel like we do when you're part of this close-knit football fraternity. On our football team, we do have members that do know him personally. Jock Cesar, coaches our defensive line, coached him last year on the the staff there. Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes were teammates with DeMar uh, last year with the Bills. Then it goes all the way back. Jimmy Morrissey spent five years at the University of Pittsburgh with DeMar, and Kirk Heinich was a high school teammate. So, of course, when people that you know personally are that close, you even feel like you even know him a little bit more. But watching it, it was tough. You had to think about, you know, as a parent, you know, as parents and everybody that loved him as he fought for his life on the field. What I also saw was a natural emotion on how much people care. You know, from the opponent across the field with the Cincinnati Bengals, of course, and, and watching their team from coaches, administrators, uh, of course, the players. What I also saw that night was uh, how people pulling together, you know, the medical team and how they went into work uh, to save his life. But that is football, and, um, and some things can happen like that. On how we've handled it since then, Thought it would it would be wise to let the guys have another day yesterday to kind of reflect to just kind of take all this in, and um, we may you know our mental health clinicians and all the people that I know, could you know help guys that may need to talk to someone available, and uh, our players came back in today. And we tried to get on a on a regular as much of a regular routine as we possibly could. We normally start our day off. Uh, with a team meeting, we were able to do that today and had from, um, of course, uh, you know, our the person that's in charge of our mental health uh, here uh, leading the meeting. And uh, we just let the guys know that, you know, what they're feeling right now, it's kind of natural. We're all kind of feeling some of the same things. and uh, But we're going to get through this together, let everybody kind of, you know, talk a little bit, uh, the ones that really wanted to. And the guys I mentioned that that know DeMar personally, I think it was good for them to let the team know a little bit about him, let all of us know a little bit about him. So that's where we are with that. Uh, we're going to do, I know organizationally, uh, we're going to do whatever we can to help, you know, the Bills and anyone else that, that we feel like we can help, you know, doing our, our, our part. I know one thing that I, and when you feel like you're far away and you can't do an awful lot, I'm a believer, so I believe in prayer that it helps. And I know he had a lot of people praying for a speedy recovery, and we hope that he gets better and better each day. Um, Football-wise, on where we are, we have another game to play. As I said, we're going to try to get into as much of a normal uh, routine as we possibly can today, and um, get ready to play our last game of the season. So that's where we're. Take your question.
0: Got to know Coach Smith over the over the couple years he's been here, and you could just hear in his voice the the sadness and what everybody throughout the NFL has been going through, and obviously the the feeling from far away. For DeMar Hamlin. But there have been and there are a number of players and coaches in this locker room that have a connection to DeMar Hamlin. Jacques Cesaire was an assistant D line coach last year with the Bills when DeMar was a rookie. Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, they both were in Buffalo last year when DeMar was a rookie. Uh, Jimmy Morrissey played with DeMar in high school. Lovey talked about that connection uh, and the players and what they're going to. And he had them speak today to the players in their team meeting.
1: Well, the general thoughts is just that he's a great guy um, that loves that loves to play the game of football. Uh, by I think most of us are kind of aware of the uh, the outside charity that he uh, that he formed to you know to uh, collect toys uh, for kids in his area. He's a guy from the Pittsburgh area that again played high school ball there, stayed there to the University of Pittsburgh, and um, so he was involved. That's what the sentiment was. Uh, the guys that knew him with the Bills just talked about how good a teammate he was, always had his iPad with him, uh, talking football, trying to learn football, and and um, and for me, just as a player, six-round draft pick, You know, odds are against him. Odds probably been against him a lot in his life, and he's overcome them. Um, but to know what he had to do to make the roster, and as we talk to our guys, always, you need to be ready. Unfortunately, another injury happened, and he got a chance to play. And uh, I know he was playing outstanding football this year for the Bills.
0: When you're on the game as many years as, as coach has been, shoot, as I have been, you, you've you seen pretty much uh, everything. Um, you know, players making great plays, players making great catches, miracle plays, miracle moments. But you also see the other side of it, and that's injuries and You know, you see a guy tear his ACL. We saw Kyler Murray do that on Monday Night Football, and he had surgery um, on Wednesday. You see, you know, players that unfortunately um, take uh, a hit and they go unconscious um, or something uh, along those lines having to deal with a head or neck injury. But I think Lovey spoke for a lot of people, and they said they had never seen anything, anything uh, like what they had seen uh, on Monday night with DeMar Hamlin.
1: It is, first off, it's hard, and I have been in football a little bit longer than most of the guys in in, in our locker room uh, experiences. And um, I've been games, teams that have had some serious injuries, but uh, not one like this that played out right in front of all of us. Um, but on how we get through it is that I think when times like this happen, you see how close you are. And um, we do... You know, everybody said, hey, we, you know, it's a family here. Uh, we do have that. And guys genuinely care. And I think what we all saw is that you can compete hard against someone and try to win and do everything possible, but once someone is in need on how you gather together, how you come together, and that's where we are. And that's just starting. I mean, I know it happened Monday. There's a lot of tough days ahead. But um, I know we're going to all go through it together. And and then just emotions that you feel. I mean, for our guys to know that whatever you're feeling right now, we all have, we're in different, you know, we know them differently and different place and and uh, letting the guys know that that's okay too. And I talked to them as a head football coach, but also uh, Nick, our general manager, of course, talked to them organizationally. Guys, on wherever you are, we're here to support you, wherever you are in your journey going through all of this. Uh, yes, we, and we finished with the, you know, I talked about, you know, what I, my belief in prayer and a lot of others on things that we can do. These are all the things that we've done. And what the guys want to do, they wanted to have that to talk it out. But what they also want to do is uh, they want to play too. So getting back into as much of a normal routine as we can is also part of it.
0: And that's the thing about football coaches and just football people in general. Um, I mean, myself, I mean, I have the same days of radio. I have the same things I do on a particular day. I know you guys out there in your particular occupations have the same thing. You have a routine. And this routine might be disrupted. There might be movement in games. Just not real sure. And Lovey was asked about, well, do you know anything more about what may happen with the game against the Colts? Could that get pushed back? Um, there have been some thoughts out there that what the NFL may do is use that. This is one of the things I said to Mark, is they're going to use that week before the Super Bowl to, you know, it's kind of their buffer zone. So I think what they're going to do is the week that would be Wild Card weekend. I think they'll play the Bills and Bengals game that weekend. They'll play the NFC Wild Card that weekend, but then give everybody else in the AFC that makes the playoffs a bye. And then flip it the next week. Give the AFC a bye, and then pl- I'm sorry, give the NFC a bye, and then play the AFC wildcard playoffs that week. It'll make one week between AFC Championship and AFC NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. But that's potentially what uh, we could be looking at as far as the Texans go in Week 18. Coach said, "We're just gonna we're gonna follow what our leadership says, and we're gonna go with that."
1: Well, I, I think during times like this we have to follow our lead of our leaders, our commissioner. If that's the case, that's what we'll do. Uh, right now the games are still on, so we have to you have to keep when you know, tragic things happen, you know, the best way to kinda of deal with it sometime is to get back into your routine as much as possible. If that's the case, we'll deal with it then. Right now we're going on like there, there'll be a game this week.
0: So there's been no announcement from the NFL whether things are going to change. If it sounds as if we're moving along uh, with the game uh, as it is on Week 18. Uh, not sure what the, the Bills-Patriots situation is going to be. Uh, nothing has been announced at this point. Uh, the Bills did have a walkthrough today up in Buffalo um, as they continue to get more and more information about Mar Hamlin. So it appears as if we're moving that direction. I think we're only moving in that direction because DeMar has shown significant signs of improvement, which has been great. Uh, and that's been great for the Bills family, uh, great for Bills Mafia, and obviously for DeMar uh, to continue moving in that particular direction. Love asked this question, I'm not sure who this was. This will be our final uh, note here, but it had to do with the mental health aspect of players at this particular moment. And, and watching something like that happen and realizing, as Lovey pointed out early, that it is a violent game. Things happen. People get bruised and beat up, and there are injuries. And unfortunately, there was something like this that happened, and that can take a toll on a player's mental health, on coach's mental health. Uh, and Lovey discussed that aspect and what the Texans have been doing uh, and that they're very understanding of what these players are going through right now.
1: Well, first off, I, I think the guys, our relationship is pretty deep that we have before we get in that situation, but um, uh, it's very important. Of course, we've done all of that, and we've all let our guard down a little bit. Yeah, you're right, Gladiator Warriors and all that, but not in these circumstances right here. If you just look a snapshot of of when DeMar went down and what's happening, and you saw the expressions on all of the, the players' faces, that was happening right then. How many other places do you think you could have gotten the same snapshot on what's going on, and especially from the football players who play. Yeah, I've, as I said earlier, I watched it as a parent. I'm a parent granddad. I, I went into that role on what his parents are feeling right now, tried to. I also I went into Zach and, and Sean's role as a coach looking at a, one of our players out there on the football field. And it's the same feeling. You now that you have, you're just sick, and you start, "What can I do?" And something is wrong. What can I do to help? And when you're from, when you're away, and you can't do an awful lot, times like this, I'm glad I am a believer, where you can start praying and think about all of the people that have been praying uh, for Damar. I I can't wait for him to to you know to come back, all right, be healthy and whole, and for him to see how much people that impact that he has had.
0: Yeah, I think Lovey put it best right there. Um, and I saw a tweet, I think it was from Terrell Dodson, linebacker, who played at A&M and now plays the Buffalo Bills. And he just said, man, I can't wait for DeMar to see the support uh, that he has gotten throughout the league. And it's it's been uh, incredible, um, The the – thoughts and prayers that have gone his way and i think obviously people wanted to react and send thoughts and prayers um but i think it's going to a well-deserving guy what he has done in his community how much he loves the city of pittsburgh uh what he has given to the buffalo bills um he's a stand-up stand-up young man so uh our thoughts and prayers continue to go to damar hamlin Uh, there's no doubt about that and to everybody affiliated with the buffalo bills and the nfl now that's a pretty heavy way to start, but obviously there's been a lot that moves um, in that, a lot of moves in that direction, having to do with the NFL and Lovey this first time that he was able to address the media since that had happened. So we start off with that, but we're going to move forward as much as we possibly can, because when Mark steps in here, we're going to talk about quarterbacks, and we're going to talk about looking at the draft order. Who needs a rookie quarterback? Who needs a Tier 1 veteran that can come in right away and be that guy? Who needs a two-tier bridge quarterback and maybe a later-round rookie? We'll discuss that next right here on Texans All-Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All-Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, alongside the voice of the Texans, Lavax Lavaz? La Lavaz La Vaz. La Vaz de los Toros. I did that pretty well. I can kind of I can get it when I need it. Enrique would be proud. I know. Mark Vandermeer joins me. Mark, I want to do this. We did this uh maybe last week when Derek Carr was uh subsequently benching. By the way, Jared Sidham, good on you, brother. That was nice. That, that game, holy cow. I don't that, think anybody saw 356 yards, I think three touchdowns. He was great. And you guys, you and John McClain,
2: got my Robbie Benson in one on one reference mm-hmm. when at the end of the movie he yes. goes nuts in a game and then we did. can play wherever he wants. We did. Red Hot Poker. Oh, okay. I don't need to say any more about that movie. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Wait, that movie, one interesting sports note about that movie, and no one saw it who's listening. I mean, three people saw it. One on one old basketball movie. There are a lot more Benson. people that saw it Early I bet. 80s, I guess. But Late 70s. Blue Chips used the oh. same university, the same fake university, Western University, as one-on-one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was the same fake university for Hollywood purposes, and I think they shot it at Poly Pavilion. I don't know, but there you go.
0: Yeah, they, did, they shot part of it at Poly Pavilion for sure. Robbie Benson, Annette Tool. Yeah, I remember that. There was a, do you remember a hitchhiker? There was a hitchhiker in the movie. That's Melanie Griffith. No, nineteen seventy seven.
2: I barely remember the movie. The basketball player is hanging out with an Annette O'Toole a lot, and she's kind of in this counterculture on campus. Yeah, is she
0: like a tutor or something? Yeah, like that? and the, and, the yeah. Co- and
2: they fall in love, and the coach is really tough on Robbie Benson, who's supposed to be a good basketball player, but he's not playing well. and The coach is too tough on him, and the coach is a jerk. And at the end of the movie, Robbie Benson goes off in a game. He has to put him in the game. He'd been benching him, right? And Robbie Benson just goes off. And then the coach wants to make up with him, but Robbie Benson's not having it. Yeah, he's not having it. There's the whole movie. You don't need to see it now, It's good, though. It's a great movie. But that's Jarrett Stidham because nobody knew. Who knew? Look at that game. I mean, we pointed this out. There you are in week 17, 49ers Raiders. You have two backups and one of them a third stringer, and they are putting on a show with a West Coast shootout.
0: Yeah, that was amazing. And then Stidham gets hit. Overtime ball flutters, gets picked off by... To Sean Gibson. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, and away it goes. Well, we talked about Derek Carr. So here's what I want to do. I want to go through the draft order right now as it sits. And I want you to tell me they'll draft a guy. They'll look at a veteran quarterback. Okay? okay. okay? And I don't want to start with us. We are a big matzo ball of uh, let's look at it in the offseason. But but here's an interesting note from
2: today. OK, because the Texans currently sit at number one in the projected draft order. That right? is correct. Yes. Chicago is second. Now, should the Texans win and Chicago lose, the Texans would pick second, correct. no lower than second, no matter what happens this weekend. Right. But the Bears have done everything they can. And by everything they can, <laughs> you mean they, Justin Fields, not playing, they are starting Nathan <laughs> Peterman. I mean, you could start Jay Peterman and maybe have a better chance to win than Nathan Peterman at this stage. But they're going to go for it, Johnny. They are going for the top spot this weekend.
0: This leather duster will get you through the most <laughs> humid situations. Jay Peter three catalog. people got that one, too. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, Nathan Peterman uh, will be the starting quarterback I mean, for this they, they sat in
2: a conference room mm-hmm. and they said, "What can we do? Right? What can we do to virtually not guarantee, but to increase our chances?" If I had one of those,
0: if I had one of those soundboards with the, the lock, mm-hmm. like and it, you hit a lot. That's what I would put. That's exactly what they've done. Ryan Poles walked down to Matt Eberflus, and they kind of nodded, like it's time.
2: Nobody wants Andrew Luck to walk through the door as much as the Bears right now to start for the Colts this weekend against the Texans. Now, he might be a little rusty, yeah. but he'll give them a better chance maybe than Sam Ellinger.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask you a difficult question here because I know the answer. I know what we're going to say. Right. But who's in a better situation right now, Houston or Chicago? And, and I'll set it up this way. Mm-hmm. Texans, first or second pick. The Bears have their future quarterback, though. And the Texans don't, but the Texans have a lot of money. They have a ton of draft picks coming from the Watson deal. But the Bears could, because they have that quarterback, they could move down and they could add just as many picks yeah. to that situation. Who's the better situation, do you think? You know, you
2: say they have their future quarterback. They have Justin Fields. Right. He's a tremendous running threat. Correct. He's thrown it better this year.
0: Because he's he's been a running threat.
2: right? He's on track in an improvement Mm -hmm. scale. Right. But he's got to continue that. No doubt. That trek upward. Because if it stops here, he's not good enough. He's not good enough to win. Right now, the way he is, he's not good enough to win games in this league on a consistent basis. He's got to improve a lot in the offseason. So maybe he does. I'm not saying he can't do it. But it's like I always say, everybody's got to get better. Especially him. Because the Texans... Now, are they going to draft a quarterback with that top pick or are they going to wait until midway in the first round to do it? Are they going to get a veteran? We don't know yet how they're going to handle that position in the offseason, but I like the amount of picks the Texans have regardless. Two ones this year, two ones next year, and all the other ones they have. I
0: like the position the Texans are in yeah. in that way. If I, I think both teams are actually in a pretty decent position to turn this thing around. Chicago, depending on what they do, because they have fields and because there are – Two quarterbacks, maybe a third, depending on how you want to label Will Levis. Like I said, there are two. I'm not the biggest fan of Levis. Um, But at that point, there are going to be a lot of teams. I think this exercise will prove that eh, Chicago's got an opportunity to do some things here. So let's go through this. Chicago has its quarterback. Yeah, they're not taking one. I don't think they're taking one. Seattle, picking third right now. they got Denver's pick. Seattle's picking third. They're not taking a quarterback with that pick. I don't think so either. No way. Arizona? No. No. Indianapolis at 5. Yes. Do they sign a veteran or do they draft
2: one? They're going to have to sign a veteran mm-hmm. to help them.
0: And when I say veteran, I'm talking maybe like a tier 1 veteran is a guy like a Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe trade for a Jordan Love you know, somebody some of that. Yeah, some of that caliber. Yeah. Tier two is, hey, this is more a bridge guy that yeah. ends up helping us with a rookie.
2: Yeah, they're going that way. Okay. They are gonna. They cannot sell this to the fan base anymore or to themselves. No, We're going to go for so. a veteran. And, look, they've got a solid nucleus. There's no doubt. They can bounce back quickly in this division. I believe they can. Yep. But I believe they'll draft a quarterback right there. Uh, If they trade down a few spots, maybe. But I think they want a quarterback because who's going to trade up for what? They're going to trade up for a quarterback. So the Colts will
0: just go ahead and take one. So, yes, Colts quarterback. Yeah. I think they'll get a tier two bridge veteran, and they'll draft one. Detroit at six. No. They're going to stick with Goff, and they might get another backup. Atlanta at seven. I don't think so.
2: But I guess it's possible. Ritter, have they seen enough
0: to know? I mean, what's at this point, what's the difference between Desmond Ritter, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson? I, I would guess because my, my assumption is that Bryce Young and CJ Stroud will go in the top six picks. We've already mentioned teams that need quarterbacks there. And there are going to be more teams that need quarterbacks that might want to trade and get up there. So sitting at seven is Desmond Ritter different, that much that much more different than Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. Those guys might have higher ceilings, but Ritter's been in the league a year, and I think he's also got a pretty decently high ceiling. I'm with you. I don't think they draft one there. I, I don't think, think they take one at seven. How, I really do you, don't. Do you want a hot take? How many sizzle fires is this? Okay, go
2: for it. Max Duggan gets drafted in round one somewhere. Um,
0: Late first rounder, Johnny? I'm trying to think of the right team because I could see the right team doing it. When
2: somebody I, moves back into the first because they didn't get there. The Colts didn't get their guy at five. So they waited to the next round or whatever the case may be. And they kind move, of following the Andy Dalton track. Or, yeah. Or they move late into round one. They make a trade with the Eagles who just won the Super Bowl. And they say, listen, we want to take Dugan. Let right Let me give here. you one.
0: Let me give you one. Okay. Because they have picked number 29. Now they traded number three overall to the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, boy. What about Denver? Yeah. Uh
2: you know, why not? You can wait for him to develop a little bit.
0: You're gonna give Russell Wilson another year, right? You have to. You're gonna give Wilson another year. So Duggan sits, watches, understands, learns, whatever the case might be. And when Russ goes belly up, well, Mm -hmm. you move in a guy with a late first round cap figure, which is not
2: obese. Did I call him Dugan again? That's just so insane. Nice Duggan.
0: Duggan. Um I'm dug in on here's another here's another one yeah and I don't know how this is going to go and this I said the other day that I thought Derek Carr was kind of the quarterback domino that has to fall right ultimately the number one domino that has to fall is one Lamar
2: Jackson he's got to sign with the Ravens or somewhere else right so a lot of people think
0: somehow some way they get a deal done but is there bad blood there that's I'm starting to think I don't know I'm starting to think there might be a little bit of bad blood there and that's but if he does move on a, do they go with Tyler Huntley? And if they go with Tyler Huntley, is that a spot? They're sitting right now at number 24 Ooh, with, I don't with think Baltimore. So. Because uh, Baltimore's offense with Greg Roman takes into account a quarterback's legs. And Duggan throws it better than either Tyler Huntley and you, know, you could argue Lamar. Lamar's got a strong arm. I, I think Lamar throws a ball better than people think. But that's, just, that's my opinion. That might be a spot for Duggan. Duggan. Here's another one. Here's another one. What about the New York football Giants?
2: Ooh, no, they're going to re-up with Daniel Jones. You think? Before that, they will re-up with Daniel Jones, and that'll knock Duggan out of Mm. the equation for them. Okay. So they'll need other things. Okay.
0: So let's go back to the top here. All right. Atlanta, I think we're both in agreement. No, not at seven.
2: Las Vegas. Not the way Stidham's playing right now. He puts up another performance like this against the Kansas City Chiefs. There is no way they're drafting a quarterback early.
0: Is, okay, what about drafting a quarterback like Tennessee did? You know, you saw what Stidham could do, Mm -hmm. but you haven't seen it for a full year. I mean, that was his first start, I think, in the NFL. He shows you a great, he does the Aaron Foster thing. He gives you the last two games of the year. He looks great. But then he does the non-Aaron Foster thing as he becomes a starter. Oh, boy. He's not that good. So do you do kind of a Malik Willis thing where you draft a guy second, third round maybe that's got some well, upside? St-
2: stick, stay with the Arian Foster analogy here. He pulled in an Arian Foster if he plays well against the Chiefs. Now you go Ben Tate on him. Right. But right. I'm not doing it in the second. It's probably the third or the fourth. Okay. I'm taking a guy who could project high in ability, in upside, and I'm going to ride it with Stidham next
0: year. Hendon Hooker. Yeah. That but might be a good spot for him. Let him rehab, continue to rehab the ACL. Yep. Learns behind Stidham. Perfect. Las Vegas taking a quarterback later. Not in the first round. Yeah. Number nine, Carolina.
2: This is a tough one to figure. I see good things out of Darnold. Look, they coulda, woulda, shoulda against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. But the Buccaneers aren't that great. They just have Tom Brady, who is the best ever. And I just wonder how they feel. Can you really roll into next year with Darnold? Who's going to coach them? Is it Harbaugh? Does Wilkes ultimately get the
0: job anyway? Does Darnold continue? I mean, Darnold has been really good. I mean, I'm not talking Pro Bowl good, but he looks like a different dude. He looks like the guy that we faced in Week Three. He looks really good. Yeah, Week three, so 21 Yeah, I uh, back in 2021. 2021 went down the the toilet. But since Matt Rule has been gone, Sam Darnold has played really good football. Yeah, and I'm not. That's not on Matt Rule. I'm just saying 2021 under rule, he just wasn't good. And for whatever. You know who
2: Sam Darnold could be? Ryan Tannehill.
0: And maybe even better in terms of overall
2: ability, but a guy who finds a new home either there or somewhere else and is able to perform well enough on a good team. Man, I Answer me this. You put Darnold on the Titans when they're healthy. Ooh. Now, well, Okay. That's
0: interesting for them. It's very interesting. If Carolina decides, no, we're going to go younger. Now, they got Matt Corral. They drafted him in the third round last year, but obviously he won the third round for a reason. So they drafted him in the third round last year, so he's still there. They're but not if, taking a quarterback. I don't think they're taking a quarterback either. No. I think they're going to roll with Donald. They're going to go at Corral. We're going to get to this matzo ball that's pick number 11 a second. Philly? No, no. They have New Orleans pick. Tennessee. What does Tennessee do? This, to me, is the biggest mystery of all, because I don't think they can put Ryan Tannehill back out there. I think they saw in two games, three starts, maybe four starts, three or four starts, whatever Malik Willis had. They didn't like what they saw. He's, he's a waste away. Now, I do think they will keep Malik Willis in the fold sure. and let him continue to develop. Does Tennessee, A, make a bid for Derek Carr or a Tier 1 veteran, a Jordan Love, a Derek Carr? Because that team is put together right now. As a team that could win, once they get everybody healthy, add a couple pieces here or there. Does a veteran quarterback make them a viable, uh, a viable team to move back to the top of the AFC South? Yes. The so
2: you're going, is,
0: you're going tier one veteran for them. I'm, I'm going veteran. Okay.
2: Yeah, yep. right. no doubt about it because they're not going to draft a quarterback right there, and they're they're not going to use that draft capital. Vrabel doesn't want to have to wait around for a rookie to develop and live through all the growing pains. The Jaguars are on their way, sailing off into the sunset. And, as I say this, watch the Titans somehow win on Saturday night, <laughs> which I don't think anybody would be totally shocked about
0: other right. than the fact that it's Dobbs. Yeah, that, exactly. So, stop me when the right guy strikes you for Tennessee. Okay. Jordan Love. Jimmy Garoppolo. Derek Carr. Maybe. You know, I don't Tom see... Thomas Edward no, Brady.
2: No, no, he's not going
0: there. No. He's not going there. Not with his buddy Vrabel?
2: No. You don't think Vrabel could pull it off? Look, it's I, no, Nashville. I'm, a lot of people live in Nashville. They like no, the Nashville scene. Brady's not going there. If Brady goes to Tennessee, I might not. Brady's vomit. going to San Francisco. Yeah. I don't think he's going back to New England. But what if his boy becomes the uh, offensive coordinator? And you um, know what I'm talking about. Here's a hot take for you. Brady Rams. Oh, Wow! Because oh, that was the other one. What about Baker Mayfield in Tennessee? No, not with Vrabel. Vrabel's not going to want any part of that. Yeah, that's true. Think about you got to think about with the Rams. Brady's not going to want to go to Nashville no. and risk that. Although he's going to look at the division and say,
0: Hmm, well,
2: I enjoyed, enjoyed this. He's <laughs> already NFC got South. that in Tampa Bay, seemingly. Um, Brady with the Rams. Wow, wow! Because Stafford hurt, not going well. Can you really count on him? Maybe it's time. Brady goes there for nothing, tries to win a title with the Rams. I don't know. Throwing it out there.
0: But let's think, just say this. Tennessee's I think one of the things about the Rams that is going to be interesting, and it's going to affect the quarterback, and it is not the quarterback, and that's Aaron Donald. Does Aaron Donald come back, or is he done? Does he retire? Are Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt in the same Hall of Fame class? Who said that
2: McVeigh? they wouldn't be surprised
0: if McVeigh took a I've year seen off. That. I've seen that rumor
2: like did a Sean Payton kind of thing, just I've, walked away for a bit.
0: I've seen that rumor yeah, to kind of recharge and and maybe come back, do some TV, whatever. Um, so Tennessee at 11. Uh, 12 is us right now, Texans. Uh, there's got to be better played quarterback position. Don't know what they're going to do, but there's got to be better. There's go no Pittsburgh. Doubt. Go Pittsburgh. Go Pittsburgh. Beat Cleveland. Man, that could mean as many as one. So we need New Orleans to, man, we need New Orleans to win. Tennessee's not going to win in all likelihood. Tennessee's not going to win, so that's going to be tough. I mean, Jets New to Orleans lose. playing
2: well late in the year.
0: What if we get those six and ten teams that win and move uh, down? I don't know what the tiebreakers are. Yeah, that's going to be because
2: strength of schedule. Vegas is not going to beat the Chiefs. Let's be real.
0: Strength of schedule is going to. Uh, those won't matter too much. Carolina and Atlanta. Can maybe get Cleveland to ten. That's what we got to do. We got to get Cleveland Gosh, to ten.
2: That win that they just got over washington was highly damaging why did he play Carson Wentz? that was it dang it ron um all you got to do is not turn the ball over you got a great chance to win that
0: day but Um, no so cleveland quarterback or no um i don't think so okay here's now this (laughs) this one gets very very interesting no they're not going to do it the new
2: york football jets they're not doing it they're not doing it they're not going to draft a quarterback
0: no way so they're going so okay are they going tier one vet they're going
2: Mike White. Probably not. They have they need another okay. option.
0: They you know what if they if you're need? a Jets fan and they go into the season saying Sam hey, Darnold. My, oh, no. oh gosh. <laughs> Mike White is our starter. How do they feel? Not good. I think the Jets is I think the New York Jets, great spot for Derek Carr.
2: That's not bad. That's not bad. I don't see them drafting somebody. Brother played for the Giants, ago, he kind of knows it. You're still two years removed from the number two overall pick, and right. you probably screwed it up. And who knew? But yep. they did, right? They did. So, you know, maybe he can resurrect himself. I don't right. know. Maybe the off season is terrific for him. He goes and meditates on a mountaintop, <laughs> and you know, spends some time with a great quarterbacks coach, and he comes back a different guy. Maybe that happens. But they're not going to draft quarterbacks, so eliminate them from consideration here. Sign Derek Carr. Yeah. We have, we have like four teams signing Derek Carr, clone Derek, Derek Carr, yeah. Derek Carr to the
0: Jets. Mm-hmm. Keep Zach Wilson. Yeah. Oh, you got to keep him. Keep him. You got to keep him. That's now nah, like, you're gonna have a lot of money tied up by year three. That's year like four. letting go
2: of your crypto, provided that your crypto is still accessible. <laughs> but it's like letting go of a bad stock. You don't let go just now. No, it could go back. It could. Up. It, you you could, can always dump it. You later. You could get some
0: return. Here's all. Here's what you need. Not that I would wish this on anybody Derek Carr goes to New York. They keep Zach Wilson Derek Car's a really good season, but he misses a couple of games. Zach Wilson steps in, shows how much he's grown a couple of games teams are swooning over him now and they go and if somebody signs him as a or the Jets are able to trade him to somebody in 2024 that's that's what I would do with
2: Zach him. Wilson yeah Oh no if Carr does okay, but Wilson shows that kind of improvement right. It's bye-bye, Derek, and then we're going to keep Wilson. Well, maybe. We made the investment, and we're going to see this through. But it could be over in New York. New York's tough, man. And
0: a lot of people can't take it, and I totally get that. That's why I'll say this for Daniel Jones. I did not think Daniel Jones should have been picked at number six. I just didn't. I didn't think he was a first-round quarterback. I had him at 34, 35. I thought he was tough. I thought he was athletic. I thought he could run. But I thought his passing game had a lot left to be desired. He has done a really nice job with the Giants. I, I, will, I will admit that he has been very, very good for the Giants. I'm curious to see how the Giants handle that. This it's offseason. taken a minute to get that done, by the way.
2: It happens. Yeah, no, I know. I know. We I know.
0: It's, like we, it's like people out there expect there to be this fi- football microwave, and they're mm-hmm. like, hey, put that, put that quarterback in the microwave and make him good. Yeah. Like, it doesn't happen that way. You can do that with brownie mix, mm-hmm. or you could do that with a microwave meal, but you can't do that with brisket. quarterback is brisket you can't put brisket in a microwave
2: what happens is you get these guys who excel right away Mm -hmm. or close to right away and it just ruins it for people who need some time to develop
0: but look the league is not going to wait for you okay 15 16 17 are pittsburgh green bay detroit and then miami's pick is forfeited miami's boy miami's we have no idea what two of two is forfeited so they're 15 16 17 14 is washington football fighting commandos that's a possibility 14.
2: that's a possibility they take of a draft if, pick right there if,
0: if levis is there i could see
2: that somebody of that nature johnny
0: yeah okay so let me ask you this. they reach and take duggan ha oh man all right mark that was good stuff we'll continue that throughout well after our last all access show we'll be doing it through podcast houston you definitely want to check it out we'll talk more draft then as well mark great job thank you johnny we go back, we'll hit the injury report and go around the NFL right here on Texans All-Access. Welcome back. final segment of the first hour of Texans All-Access. It's a Wednesday edition, our last Wednesday edition of the year. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Game against the Colts, 12 o'clock Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, Indianapolis Eastern Time at this time of the year. Uh, Injury report today for the game. Uh, Texas Hill to walk through today. So this is only an estimation, but if this is any indication, Texans about as healthy as they could possibly be. Jimmy Morrissey still dealing with concussion uh, issue. Steven Nelson was sick. Uh, but Teagan Quatoriano, uh, who missed last week with a thigh issue, he's a full participant, or they're expected to be. The Colts did have full practice. Uh, Nick Foles dealing with the ribs. Stephon Gilmore dealing with the wrist. Kylan Grants at the tight end dealing with the ankle. Rashad Berry, Brandon Faison, um, them out as well. Rodney McLeod also missed. If you heard the first segment, you, you'll know why. Rodney went. Um, Rodney was a, a great friend, high school teammate of Demar Hamlin. On Monday night, he drove from Indianapolis to Cincinnati to be with his teammate. Um, so it just says not injury related, resting player, and that's um, more than likely why uh, he was not there today. Ashton Dulo is a full participant, uh, dealing with a concussion. A couple of keynotes as it pertains, and one of them will really impact the Texans. It's the second one. Sam Howell will start for the Washington Commanders. We talked about quarterbacks in the first one. They drafted him in the fifth round. He'll get an opportunity for a one-game audition. And I don't know if that's enough. If Washington likes a quarterback in this draft, they'll they'll probably go get him. I don't know that Sam could solidify anything in one game, but I can tell you it's not Carson Wentz. Maybe it's Taylor Heineke. Maybe it's Sam Howell, but I would imagine they're going to look at quarterback this offseason for sure. I think there are a lot of changes coming to Washington, but the big one, in some sense, the Bears will not play Justin Fields against the Vikings. It will be a Nathan Peterman special. Now, why do the Bears matter? Well, if you've been following, you know the Bears are half game behind the Texans in the draft standings. A Texans win, a Bears loss, and at flip-flops, the Bears go to one, the Texans go to two. Nathan Peterman will be the starter for the Bears on Sunday. Yikes. You remember Nathan Peterman, 2018 Bills at home, the uh, winning streak. Jonathan Joseph picking him off, taking the house. Yeah, you know him. That's your starting for the Bears. So. so, yeah, there's that. But either way, just whatever happens, happens at this point, and uh, you'll go with it. You got to, because Nathan Peterman's probably not going to help you. All right, we get back. Let's go. Man behind the mics, Matt Taylor, our good friend from Indy, sits down with Mark and talks about this one on Sunday. That's next on Texans All-Access. we got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All-Access, our last Wednesday edition of the year. And we always kick off the second hour with my good friend, Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans. Does men behind the mics because I, John Harris, football analyst, the sideline reporter, gave him this task many eons ago, and he jumps on it every single week like a champ. This week, it's Matt Taylor. 17 weeks after talking to Matt and playing the Colts, it's up again for week 18. Mark started with a question about how the Colts are dealing with with the changes and things that have gone on since the DeMar Hamlin injury. I
3: mean, the Colts today were supposed to have media availability with uh, some of their coordinators and assistant coaches. And, um, you know, they they canceled that in in solidarity solidarity with uh, the Buffalo Bills. um, As, you know, DeMar Hamlin now is certainly in the forefront of all of our minds. And, you know, I was like a lot of people last night watching the game as a spectator and I didn't have it on to begin the game and, and turned it on actually about, I would guess maybe 10 minutes after that play occurred. And, you know, I was expecting to see, you know, first downs and passes and tackles. Instead I'm seeing, you know, players on knees and an ambulance on the field and just was, was shocked and uh, had never really seen anything like that. And, you know, so now it's all about, um, you know, as I think the football community coming together and trying to, put what's important at the forefront and that's the well-being of a, of a young football player. And I mean, we're not talking about ACL tears or shoulder injuries and rehab and surgery and things like that. I mean, we're talking about life and death here and um, I think the NFL has handled it. Well, I thought ESPN last night from a broadcast standpoint handled it well. And um, I think, you know, these players are are trying to compartmentalize, you know, being there for a, a player, a brother, um, you know, and, and just a great human being. And um, it's going to be hard for the Bills and Bengals and I think all of us um, to, to go back to football when you have such a um, huge, uh, important thing occurring, again, when it's when it's life and death. I mean, football is a game, but this is so much bigger than all of that.
2: Yeah, and they won't make up that game. We'll see how it affects everything moving forward. It, it does seem strange, I think, that, Every day, things could change. Any minute, things could change. And we're hoping that the sun comes out and things change for the much better for DeMar Hamlin. But it really seems strange to get ready for the games for everybody not directly involved with the game on Monday night. You know what I'm saying? With Texans and right. Colts scheduled to meet right. this week, and it feels a little strange to get hyped up for the game for the season finale with everything going on with this.
3: No, that, that's exactly right. I mean... You know, you almost feel insensitive, um, you know, talking about football because, right, I mean, the, the, you know, Houston and Indianapolis, these are not, you know, markets that were directly impacted by, you know, the the ordeal last night. And so it is, you know, the NFL has already come out and said that there will be no changes to the NFL schedule in week 18. Um, it's, I think it's the right thing to do to not play that game, but to sit here and talk about playoff ramifications and, you know, things that need to happen in the off season for the Colts. I mean, it's, it's tough to sort of go there this soon after the seriousness of last night. So, you know, we're kind of treading water lightly around here, if you will. I know that's a bad metaphor, but Mm -hmm. you know, I I think last night's uh, occurrence was so serious that you do kind of have to put things into perspective and put the, you know, upcoming off season um, for the Colts and Texans at bay for a couple days before we figure out, you know, the well-being of DeMar Hamlin.
2: Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us on Texans radio. Uh, just football stuff for a second here, Matt, as it's been a difficult season for both these franchises. And I never thought in a billion years that after the opening day tie that both teams would be in this position probably the Colts more than the Texans. I thought the Texans had a good chance to win a bunch of games, a handful or more of games that just hasn't happened. But what are your thoughts on what the Indianapolis franchise has been through this year?
3: Oh, my gosh. How long's your show? Where do yeah. I start? Um, yeah, this it's it's been one of those years. I mean, I think on the disappointment meter, this is right up there considering, you know, in training camp, the conversation was, you know, can the Colts contend for the division? How many wins are they going to get? Is it going to be a nine-win team, a ten-win team, an eleven-win team? And here they are, Mark. They they've got all the markings of a four, eleven, and one team. I mean, um, no one saw this coming, and I think, you know, everybody either got hoodwinked or something because I mean, it was just, um, it was a it was a roster on paper that you know could compete with just about anybody. And here, towards the end of the season, they're not competing. And um, like I said, they've got all the signs of an under five hundred team. I mean, they they have a league worst one, minus one thirty seven point differential um, since that terrible meltdown against the Minnesota Vikings a couple of mm. weeks ago, where they gave up a thirty three point lead. Since then, they've been outscored ninety seven to sixteen. Um, you know, they've lost four games this season by at least twenty three points. They got routed the other day against the Giants offensively speaking, that's the root of the problem. I mean, defense is, is definitely uh, culpable, and they, they've had their fair share of moments, but the offense has just let the team down from start to finish on the season. Um, you know, they've switched quarterbacks five different times uh, when you factor in Sam Ellinger starting on Sunday against the uh, the Texans. Uh, Matt Ryan didn't work out like anybody thought he would. Uh, the offensive line has definitely taken a couple of steps steps back. So, no, I mean... That's a very short answer. I mean, we, we could sit here and talk for hours about all the things in Indianapolis that did not go according to plan this year.
2: Matt Taylor, Voice of the Colts, joining us. Do you think quarterback is the main issue, though, that Matt Ryan, despite the fact that he's got so many pelts on the wall, it just wasn't happening in this year of his career the way you needed it to? Is that where it all started, or is there other stuff involved as well, in your opinion?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's fair to say that's in the equation along with the offensive line. I mean, the running game this year never flirted with its effectiveness as compared to last year in 2021 when Jonathan Taylor led the NFL in rushing. I mean, Taylor himself was banged up a couple of times this year. He missed a couple of games with an ankle. He never truly was his, you know, 100% explosive self like we saw so many times last season when he rushed for over 1,800 yards. Um, Like I said, the offensive line, I mean, the Colts have given up 58 sacks on the season, and certainly the offensive line is, you know, they're going to share the blame in that. But I think just the immobility that the Colts have had this year, uh, predominantly at the quarterback position, has really helped that number get to where it is right now. I mean, Matt Ryan's not going to, you know, move around the pocket too much. Nick Foles didn't either in his, uh, his two starts. Um, you know, that's why they're going to Sam Ellinger here. So I think in the off season, it's going to be about I mean They're going to be drafting at least six in the upcoming draft, and they're going to be in a position to get a quarterback. And so if the Colts do go that route in the draft, it's got to be, in my opinion, a guy that has some mobility that has some escapability, you know, you don't have to go full Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. or, um, you know, Jalen hurts, but you need to have the escapability of a Josh Allen or a Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and things like that. So, um, yeah, this offense right here has really, really regressed. And since they fired Frank Reich, since they fired Marcus Brady, they've really had no identity. They've really had no identity in the passing game. The running game hasn't come to fruition either. So it's just been a team, unfortunately, just kind of uh, going week to week trying to figure out who they are and what they are schematically and then I think also culturally as well.
2: Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joining us. All right, give me two or three things or players or whatever you want to pick that are going well for the Colts, things that you think are assets even through the storm here.
3: Yeah, I think on defense, I think collectively, like I said, they've had their moments, but they're breaking down here towards the end of the season. They're also breaking down, you know, late in games. Fourth quarter defense has been a problem, but I think the one guy on that side of the ball that's really shined this year And he's been given an opportunity, and, man, he's run with it. And that's Zaire Franklin, their middle linebacker. Um, He's only a handful of tackles away from setting a franchise record for tackles in a single season. Um, And prior to this year, he was mainly a special teams guy, but Shaq Leonard hasn't played for most of the season. I think he only played in three games and, like, 74 snaps on the year. So, really, Zaire has been the leader of that defense. He's been one of their biggest playmakers. He's stayed healthy. He stayed durable. Um, He's such a great guy off the field as well. And so from a personal standpoint, you're excited to see him have the season that he's had. He's under contract for next year as well. And I don't know how you take him off the field even when Shaq Leonard comes back next year. Bobby Okereke is going to be a free agent. Um, So I, I, I think the Colts are in good hands there, but they might have to shuffle him around a little bit to make sure he's on the field. He's just been that good and that impactful for this defense. And then on special teams, you know, we talked about the offense. So I'll go special teams. Chase McLaughlin is having a really good season. You you guys have Kamey Fairbairn. Uh, the Colts have found a gem in uh, in Chase McLaughlin. And unfortunately, they they didn't get him until week two because in week one, uh, Rodrigo mm-hmm. Blankenship missed that uh, field goal in overtime. Uh, the Colts made the move immediately to to cut him and bring in Blankenship, who had spent time with the Colts back in 2019. Um, and he's just been so consistent this year. He's only missed six kicks. Uh, he's eight for 11, over 50. And that's what's been missing for the Colts on special teams, really, since Adam Vinatieri retired. It's consistency and then having a threat to make long field goals, either in you know two-minute drills at the end of halves or late-in-game situations. Um, McLaughlin's done a nice job of, of staying consistent in the kicking game and giving the Colts some, some hope and uh, some confidence that he can make long field goals in clutch situations, which he's done more often than not this season.
2: Matt, one more for you. AFC South championship game, Jaguars, Titans, your thoughts. Yeah.
3: Uh, first of all, just shocked that we're here. The fact that, mm-hmm. and that that's what's so frustrating, I think, for the Colts fan base is that it's such a winnable division and it's so obtainable and mm-hmm. the Titans are on this tailspin, on this depth slide and yet the Colts are just so far in the rearview mirror. I mean, they've been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs now for three weeks going into that uh, Charger game on Monday night a couple weeks back. So just not being able to take advantage of this division makes the 4-11-1 season that much you know tough to come to grips with. But I don't know how you don't pick the Jaguars. I mean, the Titans right now are not healthy. They're not playing well you know, Dobbs is going to play again at quarterback and he's really inexperienced considering, you know, just the, the limited number of starts. I know he's been in the league for a while, but you know, it's going to be a home game for Jacksonville. I just don't know how you don't pick the Jaguars in that situation and give credit to them because they've just hung around and they've, you know, I I hate to use this word treaded water, but you know, they haven't beat themselves. They don't turn the football over. And I think that should be a moral for, for the Colts and Texans. I mean, if you don't beat yourself because the Colts, you know, are 31st in the NFL in giveaways, you know, they they, they have a hard time hanging on to the ball with fumbles and Matt Ryan leads the NFL in interceptions. So how many more wins would the Colts have this year if they didn't turn the football over with a high propensity? So credit to the Jaguars for just kind of playing even for most of those games, playing close games, you're going to win more than, than your fair share. If you just hang on to the football and you don't beat yourself, that's what they've done this year. And I think they're going to win the AFC South.
2: Matt, great visiting with you as always. Let's hope for the very best this week for DeMar Hamlin, the entire league. Thanks a lot for visiting, and we'll see you on Sunday. Thanks.
0: You got it. Be good. Look forward to seeing Matt on Sunday on the booth next door. Obviously, I'll be down on the sidelines, but Matt used to be me. He used to be down on the sidelines, moved up to the booth. Uh, I think it was 2018 that he moved up there and does a great job for the Indianapolis Colts. Speaking of doing a great job, Andre Johnson Has done a tremendous job as a Texan. And being a Texans ambassador, legend, whatever you'd like to label him as. He's going to the Hall of Fame, says Drew Doherty. I concur. And we discussed it on In the Lab next. It's time for the SLB Stats Challenge. Brought to you by our good friends at SLB. And this week, the stat is 139 slash 5. Now, you're going to wait a second. Well, that's two different numbers. Well, yes, that's true. It is two different numbers. 139, the number of tackles Jalen Petrie has recorded as a rookie, 11 more, I'll do the math for you, gives him 150 on the season, which is just incredible. The five in the 139 slash five, the number of interceptions Jalen Petrie has had this year. Let's see if I can remember all of them two against the bears, one against the browns, one against the titans, and last week against the jacksonville jaguars. There are the 5. Woo. Oh gosh, that was that was actually a little bit easier than I thought. You just got to remember the two against the bears got to happen all the way in week 3. 139 and 5, no rookie since 1991 has reached those numbers. No rookie since 1991 has reached 139 tackles and 5 interceptions in a season. I know that everybody wants to slam dunk this thing and give the defensive rookie there to Sauce Gardner from the Jets, and Sauce has been great. He's been awesome, but he has been riding a wave of a very early first half of success. Jalen Petrie has been doing this all year long, and he's been playing his best ball the last probably f- six, seven weeks ever since his move to free safety. So 139-5, and five, that's your SLB Stats Challenge. Go to HoustonTexas.com to take the SLB Stats challenge all right it's time to take the Andre Johnson challenge and get him in the hall of fame Drew Doherty and I talked about that in In the lab here we go this is a special one Andre Johnson is a pro football
4: hall of famer at least in our minds so whether he's named to the finalist list tonight or not he's a finalist in our mind he's a he's a pro football hall of famer it's just
0: it's that simple right John I don't think there's ever been any question again it's when it comes to hall of fame it gets you know how it gets subjective mm-hmm. i was just on earlier on wednesday with uh my buddy david nuneo at Tech SAG. so i do an interview with them weekly every wednesday about nine o'clock so if you're gonna listen in the SAGs, there you go and he asked me about mike evans and hall of famer exactly hall of famer mike's got something that i don't know how many other other players have he's got nine this is the ninth year nine zero nine nine
4: straight to start his career nine straight
0: 1,000 yard seasons Mm -hmm. what other receivers have done that but David's point was and I agree with he's criminally underrated yeah because when you talk about great receivers what do we do oh man Justin Jefferson's fantastic Jamar Chase is awesome And there's Mike Evans just cruising along, just being a nine all the time. There's not like a five one week and a three one week and a ten one. He's a nine all the time. Whether it's Tom
4: Brady throwing it, whether it's Jameis Winston throwing it, whether it's Ryan
0: Fitzpatrick, doesn't matter. Playing Gabbard, he produces. And so I bring Mike Evans up because I think Andre kind of falls in that same category. Now, he didn't have the consecutive years of a thousand yards, but he was so incredibly productive. And I and the one thing, and I and I know John McClain will be the one that, that presents him at the Hall of Fame, uh, in the discussions, the thing to me was he was getting a thousand yards with quarterbacks that ended up being journeymen. And do you want to hear his quarterbacks? Yeah, you got him? In order, this is who
4: he caught a pass from okay. in his career. All right. Uh, as a Texan. I'm not I don't give I don't count the the two years with the uh Those other teams we won't name. But anyways, David Carr, Tony Banks, Dave Ragone, Matt Schaub, Sage Rosenfels, TJ Yates, Case Keenum, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ryan Mallett. Leinart tried to throw to him, but they couldn't connect. And there's somebody else. And there's a few others in there that played quarterback, but they just never completed a pass to him. But those are the guys. Now, Schaub... Had a
0: stretch there where he was really good. Okay, go back through that list for a second. Go back through that list. David I'll... Carr. Okay. No so think about
4: goals. it. 06, Losers. The Texans yep. did not have a winning record the first four years of his career. Andre basically was the offense. Right. He had Dominic Davis Williams, had had some good thousand yard seasons, but it was basically Dre. Yeah. Right. Tony yeah. Banks had to fill in a few times for Carr. Dave Ragone even had to fill in for the both of them. Then you had the Schaub Rosenfels 07-08 where they both of them played quite a bit those two years, and then Schaub settled in. Tj Yates went to Dre a lot in that eleven stretch where he was he was kind of guiding him in. Case Keenum fed Dre yep in thirteen, and then the Ryan's Fitzpatrick and Mallett they both threw to Andre in fourteen his last year here, which was a good one. It was like about an eight hundred yard campaign. But, um, yeah, I mean, guys who were, like you said, journeymen. Schaub was the best of that bunch. Put a Pro Bowl or two together, Mm -hmm. Pro Bowl uh, three seasons together. But he had his his tough times. I think for me, I've done this thing that's up on HoustonTexans.com or will be soon. Think about it. On average, over 14 years, John, over 14 years, he averaged – 75.9 catches, so 76 catches, Mm -hmm. and 1,013 yards per season. You're a Hall of Famer. You do that for 14 years. You're a Hall of Famer. Only 10 guys have more receiving yards in the career than he does. This
0: is why I wanted to to hear the names again. Because Schaub had two Pro Bowl years. Mm -hmm. That's it. There's not another Pro Bowl quarterback on that list. Not one. Not one. Yet, and I don't want to just, I, I almost don't even want to do this. I'm only do, doing this from a comparison's sake. Because I do, down deep, feel like Reggie Wayne was incredibly productive and should probably go into the Hall of Fame. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer, too. He's not as good as Dre, but he's a Hall of Famer. But he had Peyton Manning on one side. He and Andrew Luck on the other yeah. side. Mm-hmm. Dre had two years of Matt Schaub. And those, I mean, Matt went to the the Pro Bowl two years. Two. That's it. That's it. You look at quarterbacks around the league and that's why I give a lot of credit to Steve Smith Sr. too. I love that guy. He played with Jake DeLome. And as much as I like Jake DeLome, um, so he, he wasn't a pro bowler that I can remember, but Steve Smith still produced. Joe mm-hmm. Flacco won a Super Bowl. Yeah, I get that. But the years that that Smith was there, Flacco was, he was not a pro bowler. So... I give a lot of credit to those guys, especially like Steve Smith. he was the guy they got Greg Olson later, but Steve Smith was the guy in Carolina mm-hmm. when everybody knew he was the guy. I guarantee you through four five, six, oh seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. wasn't until fourteen, probably where teams mm-hmm. were like. Uh, maybe Hopkins, but every other year it was like, okay, how do we stop 80? Mm-hmm. What do we do? Every team's game plan was to stop Andre Johnson. There was no, well, you know, there's Reggie Wayne on one side and there's Marvin Harrison on the other side. Mm-hmm. Now I don't want to take away from Reggie because he had a good teammate and I don't want to disparage other teammates of Andre Johnson, but it's pretty clear that there are guys that are being considered for the hall of fame that allowed those other players great players to be even greater because they took the attention off them. Who took the
4: attention off of Dre? Yeah. At times, it was Owen Daniels. At times, it was Arian Foster. Right. At times, like you mentioned, last two years of his career, DeAndre Hopkins. Okay. Another thing about Andre. So, like I said, he's 11th all-time in career receiving yardage. The 10 guys in front of him, Jerry Rice, Larry Fitzgerald, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, Isaac Bruce, Tony Gonzalez—that's the lone tight end out of this group. Mm-hmm. Tim Brown, uh, Steve Smith, Senior, like you mentioned, Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. Those are the only guys ahead of him in receiving yardage. All of those guys, except for Fitzgerald, Smith, and uh, Wayne, are in the Hall of Fame, and I think those three deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Those yep. are those guys Absolutely. are Hall of Famers. Yep. Okay. Per game over their career. The only guys who had more catches per game, more yards per game than Dre, how many do
0: you think it is out of those 10 that had both more yards and more catches per game? Per game. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Rice. Yep. I would lean Terrell Owens. Nope. But he had so, yeah, he had so many. So that, that, that totally surprised me. Is it just Jerry Rice? It's Jerry Rice and Marvin Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and out of that 10,
4: every single one of them was on a team that at least once played in a conference title game. Gonzalez and Dre are the only two that their teams never made it to a Super Bowl. Yeah. So that has a that's a big deal. Yeah. And their teams not making it to the Super Bowl is clearly no fault of their own. I mean, they Correct. were the driving forces on those teams right. for most of their but that has a lot to do with it as well. You play on a good team, you know, you're you're Part of an ensemble. Right. You know, and they were not on a good team. So Dre just, he's a Hall of Famer in my book. He's a Hall of Famer in your book, but I don't think the majority of Hall of Fame voters had the exposure to him that we did. I know they didn't have the the same that we did. They didn't see him as much. So it's out of sight, out of mind. Because those first four years, really, first five, six, seven years before they went to the playoffs, right. You know, they weren't, people weren't thinking about him. Now, Fantasy owners knew all about Andre Johnson, but... Absolutely. I, I just... Uh, just It's rough, anyhow. It's,
0: the other... I mean, and to to no fault of anybody's own, Dre did it on an expansion team. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was legit on an expansion team the first four or five years of his career, and it wasn't... I, I, The turning point to me is when Schaub gets here in 07, and John Harris gets here in 07, so that's kind of the turning point, really.
4: <laughs> well, you know what happened in 07? he missed he missed nine games yeah. but in you know he he missed weeks three through nine with a knee injury right he averaged though in the other games, so he played at the very start of the season the very end of the season yep he was averaging six point seven catches and ninety four point six yards per game yeah he still he tallied enough that he had eight hundred fifty one receiving yards despite missing seven games yep fourteen point two per catch he had eight touchdowns in that that nine games time stretch.
0: by the time really the nation started paying attention for the most part you 2000 it's 2011 at that point point. and he's 30th
4: in 2011 it's 30
0: but, yeah and so i think people start paying to oh, oh, oh the, the gutty little texans look at this they're gonna make plays they're gonna win the afc south boy that was a great story about tj yates and obviously dre missed a few of those games down the stretch but then in the playoff game he's he's tremendous but at that point it wasn't you know, the Texans had not been in the national spotlight. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to be biased because we look at a guy like that and thought, man, match him up with everybody else. But just like with Mike Evans, you're almost going to have to go to Hall of Fame voters, you know, just like, your, you know, your kids do this. A lot of times my kids used to do this to me when they wanted to get my attention. They would take like a piece of paper or whatever and go, see, look, and they would shake it in my face. <laughs> like, look, and you can't see it. Like, hold on. What are you trying to tell me? And then they would step back and they would explain it like, oh, OK, yeah. I get you. I understand. And I think that's almost what's going to have to happen with voters to be able to say, like you just said, shake the tree a little bit and go, hey, hey, look at the quarterbacks he played because there are going to be plenty. And I don't know how the Hall of Fame voting goes. I mean, only, only John knows. But they can only handle so many. So at some point, you're going to have to argue against guys. In your mm-hmm. mind, you're going to have to argue against guys. So how do I defend against Andre Johnson. Well, I didn't score a lot of touchdowns. Yeah, but look at these, look at these per season numbers and these yardage numbers. Yeah, he didn't have a ton of touchdowns. Okay, we'll give you that. But look who's throwing to him. Guess what? If you'd have Brady or Manning throwing to him, do you think he would have scored maybe 10 to 12 more touchdowns in his career? What number do you want to see? And so, that that's the one thing is like, what is what's going to be the opposing argument? And I know Hall of Fame voters are in a bad spot because they can only add so many Mm -hmm. when they probably. And I'm sure there are many of them that are like, man, Andre Johnson was really, really good, but I can't put him in over the guy I'm pushing or this guy. And I can't compare him to a linebacker. I can only compare him to other wide receivers and yeah, compare him to other wide receivers. But I think sometimes the emphasis is on a different slabble and because of that like you see one thing but hey let's put the emphasis on this like i think those numbers are and in the names in context you hear whoa wow i didn't know that um i'm telling you i i didn't even know that i knew his numbers were great and i knew they stood up to the test of time mm-hmm. even more than you would think but i think that hall of fame voters have to be swayed that way to be able to say Man, yeah, hey, I hadn't thought about it like that. And all he had was Shab. Man, okay, maybe I need to rethink this. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to create in the minds of four people in that room a different idea than what they had of Andre going in. And they should have an idea of him going in, but they should have an even better picture of that coming out of it. So I think... And obviously, wide receiver, it starts. You start to get kind of bottlenecked a little bit. It's been that way for a while with receivers, and you're not going to put them all in. But I know Reggie Wayne ends up being the guy he gets compared to the most because mm-hmm. he's kind of been in that same. You know, he went to the U and played in the league about the same time. So there's some of that. I just think the biggest thing when you look at it is, at the receiver position, you got to have somebody throwing you to football. And you got to have somebody throwing you football that's of a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback to be Mm -hmm. able to put up those gargantuan numbers. Yet Dre was producing those gargantuan numbers week in and week out with maybe a dozen quarterbacks throughout his career, and one that went to Pro Bowls. Yeah, one. That's it. Yeah. So that to me is the biggest argument, uh, amongst others. And if I was if I was making it, I would say I would say that I would say he did this with this. And let's let's go back and emphasize.
4: For over 14 seasons, he averaged, averaged 76 catches, 1,013 yards. Okay. He was a durable dude. He played 13 or more games, uh, four, seven, 11 seasons. So he had three seasons where he, one season where he played nine, another where he's seven. That was the 11th season. Yep. And then the last year of his career, he only played in eight games with the Titans. But you take out those three years where he didn't play 13-plus, Yeah, he actually averaged 87.3 receptions wow. and 1,159 yards. The first number alone, just 1,000 yards for 14 years, you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah, You are a Hall of Famer in my book. Absolutely. I don't care if you play for the Texans, you play for the 49ers dynasty, you play for the air raid offense at Texas Tech. Right. You do that for 14 seasons. You're a Hall of Famer, and yep. then when you factor in what was around him, who was throwing him the ball, like you talked about, and what he did against the guys who are ahead of him, career receiving yardage wise. I mean, none of those guys that I talked about are just straight up compilers, they're not right, right. they were all excellent, excellent, right. you know, explosive, Absolutely. explosive guys. Dre's right in there,
0: Dre belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, there's no question. Um, obviously, we are biased, yep, and when we are biased, we try and find information that leads to confirming our bias. Yes. But this is like mic drop stuff. Like, look, look, shake the paper. Like, you know, look. um, Oh, wait, but he didn't even do it in the playoffs. Well, okay. Do you want to talk about
4: the playoffs and what he did do in the playoffs? Yeah. How about the four games in which he played? He had 90 yards and a touchdown in his first one. Mm Mm-hmm. Eight catches for 90, five catches for 90 yards. Then at Baltimore, eight catches for 111 yards. Hmm. The win the next year at home against Cincy in the first round, four catches, 62 yards. Yep. It's pretty good. And then at the final playoff game of his career, they get smoked in New England 41 28, eight catches, 95 yards. So, like, he showed up, yeah. but he had other stuff going on. Um, yeah. I mean, he. He needed one of those long playoff runs, I think, to and, that,
0: and that's really what got Larry Fitzgerald. That's what got him the attention. Now, obviously, Larry did it for a long time, mm-hmm. um, but Larry did it exceptionally. But Larry had Kurt Warner, Hall of Fame quarterback, thrown to him in two thousand eight. Yeah. Now, Larry made a lot of that run happen because of what he did in the playoffs. But I'm fairly convinced that if it flips around, that if Dre had that season, had a playoff run like Larry Fitzgerald had. Jay would have gotten in on the first ballot. Mm-hmm. I think Larry Fitzgerald's going to go in on the first ballot. When it comes to the Hall should. Fame... He should. Yeah, oh, he should. Absolutely. I have no argument with Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald is one of the greatest. You have to have a period of dominance. And to me, there was a period for about three or four years where it was Megatron, Larry Fitzgerald, and Andre Johnson. Those are the three guys. Those are the three. And when you get a period of dominance, when you hit a period of dominance of any stretch, any stretch, but then you maintain greatness... You're going to the Hall of Fame. You should go to the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Dre 80 needs to be in that Hall of Fame sooner than later. That man deserves it. Now, in our final segment, we're going to hear from Dr. Kevin Linsman, who does a lot of work with the Texans. And Mark sat down and talked about DeMar Hamlin and the injury situation. This is a really compelling look at commotio Cortis. what it is widely believed that, damar hamlin suffered from on monday night and dr kevin linsman will join us next to discuss that very compelling stuff next on texas all access we go on to final segment of this wednesday edition of texas all access i'm your host john harris football and sideline reporter and as i tease coming out last segment dr kevin linsman joined mark to discuss what damar hamlin is facing at this particular moment and to explain commotion Cortis. Comercial cortis
5: is its actually a rare phenomenon, um, and the reason it's rare, luckily, uh, we don't see more tra- tragedies like happened last night uh, because a lot of, of, of athletes play contact sports. But in order for comercial cortis to take place, and what that means is it's initiated by a blunt force trauma to the chest, usually by a small Object. So we see it a lot in baseball uh, when a batter hits the ball and perhaps hitches the, hits the pitcher in the chest. It has to hit the chest in a certain way, and also more importantly, in a certain part of the cardiac cycle. The heart's a muscle, so it's activated electrically. And so as that electrical impulse travels down the heart, it's called a, a cardiac cycle. Uh, it has to hit the heart at the right place and at the right time. So you could understand why. I mean, oftentimes we, we see in football, we see it in baseball, we see it in soccer, we see it in uh, the uh, sparring sports, such as boxing and jujitsu where uh, a fist or a ball or something will hit the chest wall.
2: Dr. Kevin Lindsman with us from Houston Methodist. Okay. Tell me more about what happens upon impact.
5: Yes. So when the heart is basically, stopped and 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 when you when you this happened last night the most likely rhythm he was in is a rhythm we call ventricular fibrillation where the heart just goes into chaos and it's sort of like even though this is probably not a very accurate description but it makes my point is it's almost like the heart is seizing and when the heart seizes like the brain would seize uh, the heart can't function well as a pump and so blood flow to the brain ceases blood flow to the vital organ ceases and the, the athlete would collapse and be unconscious. Now, the key is getting the heart restarted because um, if we can get the heart restarted as a pump, then the likelihood of, of uh, a bad outcome is much lower. So, uh, and, th- and that kind of leads into something that I wanted to mention is that we teach our trainers here in Houston and in, 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 in the NFL, NBA, uh, the uh, Major League Baseball, any of the, in the, in the collegiate leagues that if, a, if an athlete collapses, we really should be thinking airway, breathing, circulation. You should immediately assume the worst case scenario and run out to check those. From what I saw last night, that was done. Uh, He had CPR started very quickly because we always think of athletes as our most, as the healthiest members of our society. We don't think of them dying suddenly of a cardiac event. So when that happens, sometimes it it leads to, uh, you know, are they down? Are they, are they injured musculoskeletal injury? Or is it more of a, uh, they're just, I hate to say this being a little dramatic about a play, and so it's always tough to tell, but if they're not moving, then we need to really assume that they are seriously injured and and do the ABCs. We call them ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. So if CPR has begun quickly and they can be defibrillated, which means the heart would be shocked with an electrical impulse to get it back into rhythm, then survival can be very high.
2: All right, so in critical condition, Dr. Kevin Linsman with us, cardiologist of Houston Methodist. Doctor, for lack of a better way of putting it, how does one get out of critical condition? How does one improve from that state when they're in a situation like this?
5: So critical condition would mean that he is basically in a situation where we are controlling functions, his breathing, his blood pressure. We're doing it with either medications or And and from what I understand, he is on ventilatory assistance, which means he has a tube to help him breathe and help his, uh, because he is unconscious. uh, Usually uh, when this happens, you're unconscious for a period of days even. Uh, And basically they induce what's called a medical coma. It's 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 an induced coma. What we found is when, if you look at the statistics on out of hospital cardiac arrest, They're very dismal. Only one percent survive. Now that's Mm -hmm. across the board. That's across uh, all people, not just athletes. Now the 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 good news with this is he was in a football arena. He had uh, EMS. He had trainers. He had medical professionals attend to him immediately, which is not what happens if you're walking around the park and you you collapse. It may be minutes, if not longer, before you you're you're, uh, you get any kind of medical assistance. So he had medical assistance very quickly. They resuscitated him, which means they got his heart rhythm, his blood pressure stable, and then they took him to the, uh, the area hospital, the University of Cincinnati. At that point, we usually induce um, a medical coma, which means we make him unconscious. We don't want him awake during all these things that we're going to be doing. One of the things is called hypothermia protocol. We cool him down and this is in order to protect his brain because once the heart stops, the organ that we worry most about after we get the heart restarted is is how much of the brain has been injured by not getting blood flow. So one of the things we found over the years, and we do this for uh, anybody who would be in out-of-hospital rest, is we cool their temperature down, we paralyze them so they can't shiver, and we sedate them so they don't experience any discomfort and we'd leave him that way for for up to 48 to 72 hours. At that point, we would eventually start to rewarm him. This is again, what I assume they're doing there. I don't know that, but that's what I assume they'd be doing. And then at that point, we have a better chance that he will have a good neurologic recovery.
2: Dr. Kevin Lindsman with us, cardiologist from Houston Methodist. Doctor, the road back, we talked a little bit about getting out of critical condition. What about after that? What about recovery? I know there are other examples out there
5: yeah so the the one example I'll give you that's it's a it's a very good one is uh Christian Eriksen in two thousand twenty one is a soccer player mm-hmm. uh died while playing in Finland he's from Denmark and he was resuscitated successfully found to have a rare genetic problem called a channelopathy, which is sort of scary because it means that he just suddenly wasn't a, a blow to the chest it was just uh, that his heart went into this uh, fatal arrhythmia uh spontaneously uh so after he was resuscitated, um, he was this was discovered, and that he had what's called an implantable cardio defibrillator, which is what's put in, sort of like the size of a pacemaker. It's very small, and it, it goes into the chest, and the leads go into the heart. Leads are like uh, wires, and what it does is it's there if he were ever to have another event like this, it would immediately shock him back because the chances of survival in a cardiac arrest have a lot to do with how quickly we get the heart shocked and back. And so this would mean that it would be done immediately, increasing his his, his chances of survival. As I understand, he's playing soccer again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's always been a little bit of a debate in the United States is that, and I've been involved with some of this, is that do you really want to allow somebody with a defibrillator to play uh, competitive sports? One, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to play contact sports if, he, if you have a defibrillator because of the chances the defibrillator would be damaged or your wires could be pulled back. But uh, we've we've had it where basketball players were interested in, in playing and there's a big debate on whether that's a good idea or not. Uh, biggest worry is inappropriate shocks. In other words, will the device think that you're in this arrhythmia while you're really just exercising and it could shock the heart and do damage. So um, now with with Mr. Hamlin if, if, if this truly was commotionally cordis, and not some sort of genetic predisposition for him having an arrhythmia, then he could play again. If he recovers, mm-hmm. uh, this is some sort of a random event and you can't be screened for, it can't be prevented. It's just a random event, but to some, uh, but I'm sure they will want to do further workup.
0: Yeah. Matt's incredible stuff right there from Dr. Kevin Linsman and, I just thinking about the situation, just kind of bringing it back. I just, oh, my gosh, it's just such a scary moment. But uh, DeMar Hamlin has started making some great strides, apparently, and the reports we've been getting from his publicist, um, and his family um, all pointing in the positive direction. So that is tremendous news. And it's tremendous that you stayed with me tonight and have been with me all year. These Wednesday shows have been great. We'll be back tomorrow night, two hours on All Access tomorrow night, right here on Sports Radio 610. A big thanks to everybody. Mark did an awesome job. Matt Taylor, you had Drew Doherty on as well. Lovey Smith with Audio Jukebox. Kevin Lindsman you heard from as well. We thank you all for being here. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.